A quick note before this week's episode, it was recorded during the 2023 WGA and SAG-AFTRA strikes. Without the labor of the writers and actors currently on strike, the film being discussed here would not exist. Can't do that. Why not? We won't say anything. He knows we're going to call the police the minute he gets away. No, we are not. Charlene, don't tell no lies. The man know that's what we're going to do. So, what are your folks' names? I'm Charles Wilson. This is Charlene Wilson. The Reverend Charles Wilson. Uh-huh. Reverend, huh? Where are your folks going to? Is where we're coming from. We've been visiting in Cincinnati. Went to visit my daughter's baby for the first time. It was you. Me? On the TV, the shootout. Yes, but it wasn't like they say. Well, how was it? You ever been inside, Reverend, in the joint? Yes, sir. Well, then you know. Guy who has a past, guy's made mistakes. They say they forgive you, but they never do. They're always looking at you, trying to catch you at something. All we want, heck, all anybody wants is justice. I was explaining to the officer, and she, she panicked. She thought I was resisting. Yeah, that's right, resisting. And my friend was just trying to save me. <laughs> Hey everybody, I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre. This is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver linings. And it's still Nick Cage month, baby. It is. Still is. And we watch Dog Eat Dog, Cage and Defoe together again. Yep. Cage and Defoe in another movie that people don't remember. Yep. Because we all remember the other two off the top of our heads. They were that movie and the other one. Wild at Heart. I don't know the other one. I don't know the other one. You know what's crazy, by the way, here at the top? Um, I found something out. We're, this is what I love about Nick Cage month is we're always learning new things about Nick Cage, which we both love. And did you know that Nick Cage actually did an episode of Sesame Street? No, I didn't. Yeah, no, it's really fun, but it's actually the outtakes on it are crazy. Like, check this out. I actually have an outtake from his episode. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. Huh? That's all you have to do. Yeah, they thought it was too intense. (laughs) I heard the note they gave was, can you can you give us a little more? Yeah, it's like you really get angry at those children. Yeah, could you? It's a little too sedate. Could you bring it, kick it up a notch? Yeah, yeah. As I'm teaching the kids the ABCs. Yeah, I, that's how I learned them. Yeah, <laughs> out of fear. Yeah, just whenever I need to recount the alphabet, I just scream it at the top of my lungs. <laughs> it's really fun if you ever see Andy take a Scantron test. Just yeah. sitting there. Everyone and else is quiet in the room, just intensely. A, B, C, D. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the student. My students hate it. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, can you help us with which question? The answer is A, B, C or D. Yeah, I heard a lot of your students, they get so upset that they come up to you and they say, Wah, wah, my baby, my baby. They do constantly. Yeah. It's, it's pretty much the baby being their happens. academic career. Yes, that's what that's uh, a new bit of uh, Gen Z slang is 
Uh, they call their academic career my baby. Yeah. They have a lot of weird slang, Gen Z. Yeah. They do. Yeah. Do you know what they call pencils? Hmm. Beef! It's true. They do call <laughs> pencils. Now that you now that you mention that, they do refer to yeah. pencils as beef. They're like, give me that number two beef. <laughs> <laughs> I had a kid the other day. He's like, yo, you got some beef? And I was like... No, because I, I assume beef to me in trouble. Yeah, you're yeah, or you guess, yeah. I was like, I don't got any beef. And he's like, you're a teacher. You should have beef. <laughs> I'm like, I was like, you don't have, like, do you have like a lead beef or a multiple, m- number two beef? Mechanical yeah. beef? I was like, I don't. I well, always preferred number two beef. I mean, it is the ideal beef. <laughs> number two beef. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's the right lead hardness and all of that. Yeah. But yeah, the, the kid was like, I need some beef for my baby. <laughs> Oh man, doggy dog. Speaking of beef and babies, this is a movie from relatively uh, recently. It was twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen, believe twenty sixteen, which might be why none of us remember it. I think we all went into a collective haze around twenty sixteen. There was a national fugue state that happened for until roughly sixty percent of the country. Yeah, and still continues to this day. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, came out. Is, this is directed by Paul Schrader, who uh, wrote Taxi Driver and uh, Raging Bull. Yeah, and this is uh, him returning to the director's chair, and his also his first ever acting role. Yes, he plays the Greek, who has one scene. Yeah, that which is why, if, if anyone was wondering, that's why uh, they there was that whole scene where Willem Dafoe and Nicolas Cage were trying to get Russell Brand to him. Yeah, they had to try to bring Russell Brand to him. Yeah. And they they did. Mhm. And then then Jonah Hill pet a furry wall. Yeah, and then he complained about uh the fact that his girlfriend was a professional surfer who was posting photos of her surfing. Right. With other a, professional surfers. It's a weird scene. Yeah, so it was just a weird weird bit. Good thing nothing like that happens in real life. No. Never. Um, anyways, yeah, uh, this movie is, like, it is, it is a wild ride. But A boring wild ride. Yes. So it's 93 minutes, it's Nicolas Cage and Willem Dafoe, and so, yeah, I was definitely, I was excited. I thought this was gonna be fun, ridiculous, you know, crime gone wrong hijinks, and I don't know- there, there, there's some jinx- and there's some people being high, but I wouldn't say there's any hijinks. No, and it's mostly a very confusing experience. And I think yeah. we'll probably have to really go through, maybe, I don't think we have to go scene by scene necessarily, but I definitely think we probably need to focus in on some specifics. But I think before we do that, I, let me see if you agree with this. This feels like a film. Because uh, also, uh, someone else wrote it. I, I forget who the screenwriter was, but uh, it wasn't Paul Schrader. But feels like a film where someone realized that people like Quentin Tarantino crime dramas and the Coen brothers and thought, I can cash in on that. 100%. Yeah, that's that's absolutely what this whole thing was. Because it's it definitely feels like someone trying to do a Coen Brothers movie with Quentin Tarantino dialogue 
I'd say. Yeah, it's like this person saw go and was like challenge accepted. Yeah. And so uh, you get a, I think go fits that bill as well. We'll probably be talking about that movie at some point. But I mean, this makes go look like raging bull. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, this makes <laughs> makes go look like taxi driver. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a lot of snappy dialogue and people sort of having, you know, everyday conversations while in the midst of this criminal world. You get a lot of the three main criminals discussing whether or not they know who Taylor Swift is. You get uh, Nicolas Cage frustrated that uh, the uh, sex worker that he's trying to convince to go on a trip with him isn't interested in him personally. You get a lot of use of, uh, you know, casual racism by the white characters as a way to add flavor, which is something Tarantino brought into the mainstream. So, yeah, Tarantino definitely thought that directing himself in a movie would give him the N word pass. Yeah, which and it didn't. Which I will say, I mean, so I guess early silver lining is that we get the director in this film, but he does not uh, use the N-word. So I guess that's no, good. That's a good thing. Early, early grasping at straws, silver lining. It's a low bar, but it's something. Yeah. Um, no, this movie is bizarre and it's it's very linear and I think it didn't want to be. No, because... It's linear narratively, but then tonally it's all over the place. Yeah, there's like different like film stocks and different lighting motifs and things like that. And it's all just there's a section it's, that's it's in black bizarre. and white. The end uh, is like a David Lynch, like, you know, fantasy sequence, like dream sequence. The opening scene is Barbie. Okay, let's do we just want to let's talk about the opening scene. I was waiting for a chance to talk about the opening scene because um, you say that it's Barbie because it's very pink. Like it is bubblegum. It is like painfully pink. And I think that the opening scene is a good microcosm of the whole thing because it felt at first silly, you know, like it's. It's Willem Dafoe. He's like, he gets this weird phone call from some kind of telemarketer and he's asking the telemarketer to call him back. Uh, which he's like, we can't do. And there's there's all of that. And then the the woman that he's living with that I guess is his romantic partner. Uh, she and her daughter come home and she tells him that he can't keep staying there even though it's confusing because it seemed like he obviously was living there and that i think the telemarketer asked for him by name so he's on the lease maybe but she wants him out and then she confronts him because he used her computer to look at pornography and just left the browser tab open <laughs> for her to find and so it's all this kind of like I think wacky, so like you said, it's like hot pink. Everything that's happening is kind of silly. And it's like, okay, this is the world that we're in. This is the opening scene. We're setting a tone. This is like, what is it? He's kind of like a silly character, you know, like what a... Yeah, we see, we see him both uh, do lines of cocaine and shoot up heroin. Right. So he's kind of like this like dirt bag, 
you know, we're, we're kind of getting a feel. And then he graphically murders both of them. Yeah. Uh, and he also has an eyeball tattooed underneath his chin, like on a soft palate. And he's watching television at first, too. Yeah, with yeah. The, the chin up so you can see the eyeball. Yeah, but yeah, he uh, very graphically slashes the throat of his paramour and then uh, shoots and kills his stepdaughter, her, her child. And all of that is played horrifically real and, like, upsettingly. Yes, so it's this yeah. this abrupt like record scratch of a turn in the and, tone. I, and then I believe the next title card says three days later. It does, which is not you don't need. And then also this is now a scene in a strip club that's in black and white. And it implies that Willem Dafoe has done his turn in prison for murdering the family. Maybe. Well, no, because. We find out later that he's dumped their bodies. So I think he's mm. gotten away with it. For now. For now. Uh, but I don't, I don't, to, as to why it's three days later, I don't have an answer because it didn't seem like it, it could have been. I mean, I guess he needed three days. May, oh, maybe it's three days because that's how long it took him to get rid of the bodies and be ready. Or maybe it was just to make sure they didn't rise again. Yeah, it was a biblical type of thing. Yeah. Um, and then it, it's... She yeah, does mention going white. to church. She so. does mention going to church. So she's a religious woman. Yeah. Uh, um, then it, it, it sort of gives a little backstory on Nicolas Cage that he is just recently getting out of prison, just recently paroled. Um, this is all through narration that he's doing. And But then it flashes back to apparently his arraignment where... He tries to escape. Yes. And like that wouldn't shorten your sentence ever. No. Uh, yeah. And then he uh, gets. What's well, also uh, it's it's very unclear because they say that he's the last one to get out. But then it also says that Willem Dafoe took the heat for him when he was about to be released. And that's why they're bonded forever. So it's all of it's kind of very muddled as to what yeah. any timeline is for any of their crimes or anything. Yeah. Uh, and shocking that author of the book source material, Eddie Bunker has an iffy narrative of what happened in his stories. That's a bunker burn. Bunker burn. I another time. I... Well, it's another time to Quentin Tarantino. Because uh, Eddie Bunker played Mr. Blue in Reservoir Dogs. Okay, but I don't know his his writing. Oh, um, well, I know that he is a famed criminal in the L.A. scene. The character of Wayne Grove from Heat is based on him. Oh? Or no, no, not, not Wayne Grove. John Voight's character in Heat is based on Eddie Bunker. Nice. In real life. Um, yeah. And he's, you know, and he's also become a novelist, has written these, like, Semi, maybe autobiographical crime novels, a la this one. Yeah. Uh, and then, and yeah, and then they just exist for a while and then get hired to kidnap a baby. Is basically what happens. Yeah. We, well, we see another heist before that where they pretend to be cops, which they stole from Dirty Work. Oh, 100%. And then the criminals are like, <laughs> they, they, they get the drugs from the criminals and then they pick up the phone and go, hello, real cops? 
Yeah, I was going to say, Christopher Matthew Cook playing Diesel uh, famously steals the line. Hello, real <laughs> cops. Yeah, so, yeah, they steal drugs from these guys, but that is... I think that's meant to show us the typical type of low-rent crimes that they do. And then we see, the again, the director of this film playing the Greek... Paul Schrader. ...comes to them and says, how'd you like to make some real money by kidnapping the baby of this uh, crime boss's rival crime boss? And so... Nicholas Cage is like, yeah, I did that before and it worked out pretty well cinematically. So I'll kidnap a baby <laughs> again. So, yeah, on, you know, what? I'm film. Gonna, having kidnapped a baby before it, it should definitely work. Although he does actually point out that uh, never once has a ransom kidnapping ever gotten away with it in like the last 20 years or something. That is a line that he says in the movie. Yeah, I forget what it, how many years it is, but he makes the point that, yeah, they've all been solved all the kidnapping yeah. like high profile kidnapping. but then the argument is also made that this guy would not be likely to report the kidnapping because he is a, a crime boss they but, would drug get draw some undue attention to him yeah yeah so they're gonna go kidnap the baby they get there they walk in a man walks in on them while they're doing the kidnapping and says, you guys are in trouble now. And Willem Dafoe, uh, which I see this is true to what we've seen of, of his character up until this point, just shoots the guy in the head. Yeah, that's that is the next thing that happened. And his head explodes like it's from scanners. Yeah, like as heads do. Yeah, <laughs> like that's how it's filmed. It's filmed. We see the back of his head and it explodes. Yes. And. Then they're like, oh, who was that guy? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Let's take the baby. And then this is where it gets very Coen Brothers-y in that the guy that they shot in the head is the guy that they were trying to get the ransom from. So now they have a baby, but there's no one to give them the money to get the baby back. Yeah. Uh, and then they get ribs. Yeah. Baby back ribs. But then uh, the the woman that was there, uh, the, the house, you know, the, the not housekeeper, but the um, nanny nanny, uh, she's with them and she's very upset. And she says, where, where my baby, my baby. And then, you know, like they I think they let her go. Yeah. It, this movie is weird. And then it eventually. Willem Dafoe and uh, Diesel get rid of the body, but then Diesel decides to kill Willem Dafoe. For unclear reasons. I mean, I guess clear reasons in that Willem Dafoe is the loose cannon of the group, but they've all made this deal to be, as Nicolas Cage puts it for some reason, samurai, where they're all going to die together. Yeah, they're all going to go out like samurai. And then he decides to double cross uh, Willem Dafoe, who, by the way, we haven't said it, but his character name is Mad Dog. Yes. And so he's shot through the eye tattoo on his chin. He's like the guy actually fires the gun. Weirdly, he has the gun pointed at his face and then turns it under his chin to shoot him up through the eyeball. I think, well, that's sort of Paul Schrader was directing him. No, hold on. Gotta get the shot. Yeah. 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 Um, and then uh, they go to the supermarket. Nicolas Cage waits in the car. 
the supermarket manager sees the gun. The cops get called. There's a shootout. And then we have well, the scene. Uh, hold on. Oh, wait. I, I do want to take a minute. You didn't forget anything, but I think this is an important uh, moment, just a teaching moment, because I want something good to come out of this episode, you know, for, for the people. And I do just want to say, if we can take a moment again, Andy and I are not lawyers, but this this search and seizure of this car is completely unconstitutional. And what you should do if you find yourself in Nicolas Cage's situation is for sure call your lawyer because he is sitting there in a car reading a magazine. His partner is in the store and they, they get a tip that the guy in the store has a gun. And and it seems the cops don't even care at first, which makes me think that it's a, a state where you're allowed to have a conceal and carry weapon. So right. they don't even have that is not a red flag in and of itself. But then the, the store owner's like, no, he's suspicious. You have to check it out. And also, they, my employees say that he arrived in that car over there. Nicholas Cage sitting in a car, parked in a parking lot. Not He's... Driv he's being accused of driving a car that had a guy in it who people think is suspicious. And this cop goes up to his window, asks to see his ID, and then implies that she thinks there might be stolen goods in the car with zero probable cause and tells him to get out of the car so she can search it. And I'm just going to say, call your lawyer. Like, this is yep. not... You, she does not have the right to search that car. No, I don't think any, there's any grounds. Nicholas Cage was complying with every request. Yep, everything was reasonable. To just, it's not, it's not illegal to sit in a parking lot. Yeah, during business hours. And her whole reasoning is that the uh, the registration is uh, due. Like I think it's they say it's like a month. It, a month passed when the car's registration, the, you know, tags should have been renewed. But even then, she only ran the tag. She had no reason to run the tags in the first place. He wasn't even driving. Like, all of this is is sweaty. Her reason is she's fishing for something to charge him with. And even having your tags like that, he's not even driving the car. You can't even prove that he's driving a car with. He's just sitting in the driver's seat. Yeah. So you have nothing on him. He could have been sitting in the passenger seat, moved to the driver's seat because it's easier to work the radio from the driver's seat. Yeah, he, you have not seen him drive this car with the uh, suspended tags. It's not running? It's not running. Yeah, you have zero on him. And then the cop gets punched in the face. Yeah, which don't do that. Yeah, also, like, if you're being searched under suspicious reasonings, don't punch anyone in the face. No. I think call your lawyer, maybe even try to keep the line open so you're actively communicating with your lawyer on the phone in front of the cop to be like, I am talking to my lawyer. I'm complying. My lawyer's recording this conversation. Yeah. Again. And then that leads then that leads to the shootout that uh, was alluded to in the opening clip. Which then leads to the opening clip and then the credits roll. Well, okay. we do. <laughs> I don't want to keep slowing us down, but there is one very baffling connective tissue piece that I do want to examine because so the Nicholas Cage is captured at this point that they have him in handcuffs and the two guys. Oh, yeah. This scene have this him is... in the back of the their their cop car, but they're mad because of everything that happened because he punched a cop and because the 
you know, sort of chase that ensued with his his partner. And so they decide to pull over and rough him up. And then they handcuff him to the the door of the car and drive it and drag him behind the car. Yes. And then the next time we see him, he's stealing the car that we he's hijacking the people who are getting into the car that we heard in the opening clip. We we never see how he went from being handcuffed to the car to free. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's, it, that is sort of uh, succeeded by editing. Yeah, which is strange because that was the funny thing is like, I thought he was going to escape like I was getting that vibe. But then when he didn't escape and we cut to a different scene, I was like, oh, well, I guess he didn't get away because there was nothing to indicate that he would escape with where the scene ended. Yes. So I thought that was strange. And then. Yeah, so we get the the clip that we heard, and then it becomes an utterly surreal dream sequence that's unclear if it's happening or not, but and also kind of looks like the opening scene at Wild at Heart, <laughs> where he's shooting at the cops and they're shooting back at him, but they're mostly shooting the the Reverend car. and his wife. Yeah, they're just yeah. shooting the car instead of him, and then they do shoot him, and then the yeah. movie ends. Yeah. It's it's a weird flick. It's very strange. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think the biggest reason to malign this movie is just how utterly uneven it is. And hard to follow. Despite the fact that the movie is completely sequential, there's really, with a couple of exceptions, there like, aren't flashbacks or flash forwards. Like, it's pretty linear. Well, it's but even the it's it's simultaneously a very simple story to follow narratively, but just cohesively watching it. It's very confusing what's happening a lot of the time. Yeah, no, that that's yeah. Like, it's not like the plot is convoluted because it isn't, but it's almost like the directing and editing is convoluted. It almost kind of feels like an exquisite corpse type of film where they let someone new direct every single scene. <laughs> And didn't and all they had was the same script. They're like, you have to follow the script. Yeah. And they the couldn't see what you. anyone else did. They all just had to do whatever they thought was correct. Um, and luckily you had mostly unambitious uh just shoot the just point and shoot directors. So a lot of it worked, but then you had a couple of like Michael Dave Bay shot gum. the opening scene. <laughs> or Michael Mann in the eighties. It was one of the two of them, though, I'm I'm sure yeah. of it. Yeah. Um yeah, this is it like And David Lynch shot the final scene. That I'm I'm positive of. Yes. Um yeah, and it's just just all over the place. But the narrative thrust is pretty straightforward and I don't know, the fact that it takes them so long like this movie is pitched as three ex cons kidnapping a baby, and that doesn't happen until like an hour into a ninety minute movie. Well, and then it doesn't really like because I will say I thought the idea that they accidentally killed the kidnapper was a really yeah, fascinating idea. I liked that. But then all of this stuff happens pretty quickly after that with Willem Dafoe being killed and then the grocery store scene that we never see them. I don't even know what happens to the baby. If I'm really being on now that I'm sitting here with it, I'm like, I don't even remember. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's all just very, very weird. Yes. 
And, <laughs> and I don't think Nicolas Cage is used in a fun way since this is Nicolas Cage month. I was hoping for more Nicolas Cage, Nicolas Caging. Yeah, he doesn't Nicolas Cage very much. Um, if anything, he's like the voice of reason in the movie. Yeah, because Willem Dafoe is playing what would tip. I mean, granted, it's a very Willem Dafoe role as well, but it is in these types of movies, normally the role that Nicolas Cage would have played. Yes. Um. Yeah, Nicolas Cage is like the moral center of this trio a little bit. Which is fine. He can do it, but then he's not given much to do. I, that's why I picked the clip that I did, because like him, because there, there is a through line. We didn't really talk about it, but he alludes to the fact that he thinks that he looks like Humphrey Bogart. And again, if you're trying to play that through, he they don't do anything different. So it's just Nicolas Cage, who does not particularly look like Humphrey Bogart. No, he does not look much like Humphrey Bogart at all. Yeah. Um, and and like the initial scene where he's with the one prostitute and talks about how much he's like Humphrey Bogart, like that's a fun scene. And like his just weird, like the accent he uses in that conversation with the reverend and his wife is not how really how he talks the rest of the movie either. No, he's he's doing that. No, let me ask you if you had this thought that I did, because yeah, most of the movie, he just sounds like Nicolas Cage. He's not doing any kind of voice. But my thought when I heard it was that he's initially because they it turns out they know who he is. But at first, he's not like I'm guessing he's trying to disguise who he is. So he's doing a fake voice so that they don't know that it, what his real voice sounds like, because he's originally sitting behind them in the car. And so I feel like that was my interpretation of it is that he's doing a Humphrey Bogart voice because that's his attempt to disguise his voice. Yeah, I think that's accurate. And then he just is committed to it and he, he refuses to drop it. Yep. Uh, Pretty but much. I, but I think that's as good of a point as any to pivot because uh, I loved that. Yeah, no, I thought that was great. Um, yeah. No, that that scene was delightful um i think if the whole movie had been more in that tone it would have been a more enjoyable film there was also a really fascinating dynamic happening with the reverend and his wife because and it was i will say too it's it's a credit to that scene it was very hard to edit it down because there was a lot of it that i wanted to include because there's some really interesting stuff there's the clip i think that is in what we heard where the um <laughs> the reverend's wife is saying like you should just let us go and <laughs> The husband, he interjects and he's like, well, he can't let us go because he knows that we're going to call the police as soon as like he let he lets us. For where it is this fascinating choice where this reverend at his own peril for his own safety decides that he can't lie. And I really loved that dynamic because he and then it's like he doubles down on it by being like, wait a second. I recognize you. You're the guy on the television who did that crime where it's like. I'm going to call the police. Also, I need you. to. It's almost like liar, liar. Like, I also need you to know that I recognize your face. And so I will be able to identify you to the cops if you do let me go. Right. Like he's writing his death certificate in that scene. And just can't help himself. And I did actually think that was really fascinating. That dynamic. And his wife, of course, being like, stop it. Like, stop talking. <laughs> what are yeah, you doing? Shut up. <laughs> So, like, yeah, all of that was really interesting. That scene itself, yeah, the whole scene was good. And then there, it 
it sort of devolves the reverend decides he can't drive anymore and so then nicholas cage has to drive uh but yeah like that was a good scene i like that scene yeah um willem dafoe i think willem dafoe's his way through this movie for sure yeah his character's a little all over the place but he he had fun with it and i enjoyed him he definitely got you know the the most memorable performance in the film because like the first scene of this movie is so wild and then it's followed up by the second scene which is so totally different that i thought it was going to be a much more interesting movie yes yeah yeah and um, he's, it's yeah the the opening scene in and of itself being a short film is i don't know what it is but it's fascinating it it, it is a short film essentially yes and and even the stuff where he's really he realizes that he's a terrible person and wants to change. I thought all of that was fascinating the way he was playing that of just like, I'm going to like after we all go our separate ways and we're not supposed to talk to each other, I'm going to find you and I'm going to reach out and please tell me all the ways that you think that, like I can be a better person. <laughs> also, there's uh. a truly bizarre scene where he is uh paying for a hand job and like is unable to finish yeah that and the sex worker is very perturbed with this whole ordeal because you get this sense and we we show up you know thankfully <laughs> towards the end of the scene but uh, you get the impression that this has been going on for a long time yeah, it's weird that of this movie's 93-minute runtime, 84 minutes were spent in that handjob scene. And that, that was still condensed from how long it, right. it was implied to be. Like, they had her actually get carpal tunnel surgery while she switched hands. Yeah. And then we saw um, her go to the doctor and get x-rays. Yeah, yeah it was... Yeah, just a weird scene. And yeah. everything about uh, Willem Dafoe's character was weird. I also, uh, you've mentioned it, but I do want to circle back. The first scene in the strip club with, I Nicolas, like that scene. with Nicolas Cage and with the, the dancer slash sex worker, you know, the, that he's clearly like going to some kind of back room to have sex with, that there is an extended conversation about him saying like, well, they already took care of it downstairs. They already paid. Like, they're haggling over money. And I kind of loved that well, all of that and I love happened. the fact that 100% she's already been paid to sleep with him and she's just double dipping. Yes, but that he doesn't know what to do. And it's like <laughs> he just decides to pay the second time. But like, I do actually think that there's I don't know. I don't know that it's great, but there's something at least worth looking at that's happening with the sex workers in this movie <laughs> that like because again, then you get the other one that's like. He's what's the place that he's talking to her about where nice in France. Yeah. Where he's like, I went on this trip to Nice. And at the beginning of the scene, we don't even know who she is. She's just a woman in the hotel with him. And he's like, Nice. I, I went there as a kid and it was this great uh, trip. And when I get money, I'm going to take you to Nice. And she's like, yeah, OK, cool. And then, like, as the scene goes on, you realize that she's just a woman that he's paying for sex and that she's trying to politely like you know, I don't know, give a girlfriend experience and be like, yeah, maybe. But then like he keeps pressing it. So she has to make it more clear that she's not going to do it. And then he gives her this like very specific piece of jewelry. I forget exactly what it was, too, but it was some sort of like hyper specific jewelry. 
And she takes it, of course, as she should. But then he's heartbroken later to realize that she just sold it on eBay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very weird. But like all of that stuff I did in like, I thought that was no, some all of the- really they're good, like character scenes, you know, yeah. and they, like, even while they didn't move the plot along, they did teach you about Nicolas Cage or Willem Dafoe or whomever in the perspective scenes. Yeah, because then um, what's, what's so the other guy's purpose? The other guy, um, Diesel, Diesel, because then you get with him. It's just it's a woman that he meets in the bar. But you also get like their whole relationship arc that right. that starts off that they're really clicking and then he essentially scares her away yeah because he's also crazy yeah because they're all unstable he seemed he seems at the beginning to be the most stable but is not no it it is proven that he is just as much a loose cannon as willem dafoe is just able to hide it better yes yeah i wanted to like this movie a lot i wanted this to be the type of movie that's like, I don't understand how it got 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. And now I've watched it, I'm like, it might be a little high. Yeah, I I really, it just did lose me. Like, like I felt the same way that it, it's been an interesting Nick Cage month this time around because I, we actually, to, to pull the curtain back a little bit, like you and I, after the, the previous two weeks, we were like, we haven't really had like a crazy what we think of as a, a Nick Cage for Silver Linings playback film yet. And we had planned to do this, but then we were sort of nervous. And so we talked about it and what we ended up doing was both watching the trailer for this. And we were like, nah, this is going to be good. This, this is, is exactly what we're looking for. And so I guess Silver Lining to the, whoever cut the trailer, because they did yeah, their job and they sold me on the it. fact that I was going to like this. And yeah, I mean, it's it is strange and I I feel like I don't quite understand what happened with this film. I was reading a little bit about Paul Schrader's logic behind it that he had had some bad experiences with uh studios taking away final cut and he really wanted to do something that didn't have a large budget that would allow him final cut on the film which he had on this. But even for him, because I haven't seen a lot of his stuff, but I, I mean, I've, I saw uh, the card counter, which came out recently. And, you know, I, I, like, obviously, I've, I've seen uh, Taxi Driver and Raging Bull. So it's like I'm familiar in general with his work. And this does feel like a departure. And I'm just I don't know. It's a it's a odd I, I don't know. I guess I, in the end, I feel like it's an experimental film where it's like maybe because he was allowed to do whatever he wanted that he was like, oh, my God, this might be my only chance. I'm going to do every single thing I've ever wanted to do in a movie just to check it off. Yeah, just in case. And if you know, I'm kind of selling myself that if that's what happened, then that is a silver lining because I hope he had a blast. I, I do. I, and like. You saw him having fun playing his little part as the Greek. Yes. Which even that I was reading came out of he tried to find someone else for that. And with the budget and the filming and everything ended up just stepping in himself because he, he like he asked. I think he asked Tarantino and there were other kind of like notable people that it would have been a fun cameo. And then in the end, he was like, oh, I'll do it. Yeah. Um, but he definitely enjoyed it. And I think um, I think he had fun making this movie. Yeah. And. And again, I think there's a lot like I guess I'll say that 
this is a fun atmosphere movie. Like if you put it put it on with some music over it, you know, maybe see if it syncs up to Dark Side of the Moon or something. Yeah. Or the Barbie soundtrack. I bet it syncs up perfectly to the Barbie soundtrack. But, you know, like this. um, I hope it's a Willem Dafoe scene when I'm just Ken kicks in. (laughs) It's the handjob scene. (laughs) And then him standing up in his underwear, like in the hotel room. I honestly, where's that super cut? Yeah, that TikTokers that are listening, make that super cut, tag us in it. At Silver Linings Playback. By the way, I I will. This is a, a side tangent, a little bit of a tangent, but because on, on our show, I know, right? But because I don't know, we we're likely to probably never do a Willem Dafoe month. We really have the only actor that gets their own month is Nicolas Cage so far. Uh, although I, I definitely think there's a lot of Willem Dafoe movies that we could talk about. But uh, I will mention that he did a film that I just watched recently called Inside that I would recommend. Uh, it's a very weird adaptation of that Bo Burnham special uh, that really, <laughs> really deviates from the source material. <laughs> but uh, uh, White Woman's Instagram is shot for shot the same. Yes. Yeah, 100 percent. But uh, no, it's, it's this movie. He's an art thief and he gets trapped in this rich guy's, uh, you know, like penthouse apartment and kind of goes insane. But there's a bit in that where every time he opens the refrigerator the Macarena plays and there's a shot in that where he's in his underwear because at first it's, he kind of hates the Macarena thing, but he needs to keep putting his face in the refrigerator because the, the air conditioning stops working and it's really hot. So he's using the fridge to cool himself and he starts loving the Macarena plane and he does a little dance in his underwear to the Macarena and it might be my sincere favorite thing that i have ever seen willem dafoe do on film and that's a high bar that is a high bar because he played the green goblin yeah i mean number one the little dance he did in his underwear to the macarena number two is when he said (laughs) spider-man yeah and everything else is tied for third yeah (laughs) exactly uh but he he's great and i look i it seems they love each other him and nicholas cage like i i even read that nicholas cage took a pay cut to make sure that willem dafoe did this movie yeah um and definitely uh which is good because this movie is better for having both of them in it i'm sure well and i mean nicholas cage always a big silver lining of every movie that he's in but i do think that i would say that willem dafoe is the standout performance in this one. Oh, for sure there, yeah there's no doubt about that but yeah um, and i will say that uh the guy that plays diesel doesn't get outshined as much as you would think yeah like he doesn't he's not getting like blown off the screen by far more well-known and well-respected actors. No, the scenes where it's just him and the girl that he's interested in or him in the grocery store or him killing Willem Dafoe, like he he is interesting in his own right to watch for sure. Yeah. And I I'll give him credit because, you know, those are big shoes to fill with what Kevin Nash did with that part. And, you know, the fact that he made it his own, I really give him a lot of credit. Yeah. And I think his sidewalk slam was better. <laughs> It was. And, you know, I'll say it. The the first best fake diesel. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Taking shots. Yeah. <laughs> Screw you, Knox County, Tennessee. Silver Linings Playback is a production of Hobotrashcan.com. 
If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. Hi, everyone. I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Stephanie Smarr. And this is Stephanie Knows Some Shit, where every week we are going to tap into Stephanie's brain and share with you some of the insight that she has about cooking, shopping, Top Chef, all of the things that you want to know. Yeah, we're going to tell some stories, enjoy some time together, and really dive into the things that you might be afraid to Google. We might have the answer. I actually, I'm pretty confident we do. 